In the 1960s, where rioting was virtually a norm and freedom fighters were asking, who do you turn to when a cop hits you? They weren't thinking about where you turn when an elected official sticks his finger in a voter's chest and shouts, I don't work for you. It's clear we can't count on our elected officials to stand up for what's right, the law, truth, justice. Actually, we do have one ally. He's with you now. He's Dan Newman. And that ally is under attack. My goodness, my apologies. We had a breakdown uh, in our studio and don't really know what it was, but we thought we were live on the air for the last five minutes and we found out we're not. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a, a belated start to the show on Tuesday morning. And I appreciate you being here. We apologize. That kind of stuff doesn't happen to us here. Pretty reliable. I can tell you where the source is. It's an updated software piece that uh, is integral into broadcasting this. We very quickly went back to the old software, and here we are. I guess that's the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? We should have just stayed right where we were. Well, good morning, and welcome to a new day at Truth News Network. Listen. Our world is so full of stuff right now. Can you believe there are so moving parts? I mean, think about it. In addition to all of the roadblocks and the things you have to wade through on a personal basis, look at our government. I mean, it's not just the federal government. That all goes downstream. Think about what happens in government below federal government. At the state level, your state level. At your county or parish level, parish if you live in Louisiana, and then at your city or town level, when you throw all of those moving parts into a life that we live, it's pretty darn complicated, don't you think? And somehow, we have got to find ways to wade through all of these various parts of life and find a way to do what's best for us, at least in our opinions. And we've got to get involved with all those that we think are best for us. And we've got to support them. We've got to put the other ones away and get away from their domination of our lives. And that's what's happening today in America's free market system. What am I talking about? Of course, I'm talking about Twitter. I'm talking about Elon Musk getting the approval to spend $44 billion of his pocket change to buy Twitter and take it away from being a publicly traded entity to a privately owned entity that he, by the way, is the owner. Well, he will be later on. Uh, Everything's got to pass muster, regulatory, all those kind of things, which it's kind of of a, a no issue. He's basically taking over right now even though that is not going to become final until probably in the fall, maybe before then. But nevertheless, the big deal is Elon Musk is the new owner-in-waiting for Twitter, one of the biggest social media platforms on the planet. And you ask, how's everybody taking it? Well, most conservatives in America are excited about it. On the other side of the political aisle, Not so much. What are they doing? What are they saying? Well, let's just start. Listen to this little intro. This is CBS News and their report 
on this purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. CBS News. Elon Musk has reached a deal with Twitter to buy the social media company for $44 billion. Musk, the world's richest man, has said he doesn't believe Twitter is living up to its potential as a platform for free speech. He plans to take the company private and make changes, but critics worry Twitter could become a safe haven for disinformation and hate speech. Nikki Batiste has more on the historic sale. Nikki? It was a rocky courtship with threats and counter threats. But if this deal ultimately goes through, Elon Musk will have complete control of a huge social media platform already entrenched in a debate over free speech. It took 11 days before Twitter's board unanimously approved billionaire Elon Musk's bid for the company. Immediately after, Musk tweeted to his nearly 84 million followers, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. An Elon Musk-owned Twitter could look significantly different, with fewer ads, less content oversight, and some type of edit button. Owning Twitter would also give him the power to address one of his biggest criticisms of the the social media platform, its limits on free speech, which he addressed in this recent TED Talk. We want to be just very reluctant to delete things and, and have um, just, just be very cautious with, with, with permanent bans. Musk's initial offer was met with resistance. Twitter even voted to adopt what's called a poison pill to prevent Musk from gaining a majority stake. But proof of financing and no better offers led to a deal. This makes Elon Musk uh, at the top of mind of everyone in the world. Twitter isn't the biggest social network in the world, but it's certainly the buzziest and maybe the most influential. Musk's own behavior on Twitter has gotten him in trouble. This 2020 tweet led to his electric car company losing billions in value. And these 2018 tweets ran him afoul of the SEC. Is there any danger in a Twitter owned by Elon Musk? Misinformation and disinformation could be amplified considerably. So the reality of an Elon Musk-owned Twitter is that a number of these bad actors could run rampant uh, across the social network. Tonight, we are hearing the CEO of Twitter has told employees that if the sale goes through, the future of the social media firm is uncertain. We do know the sale is expected to close this year, subject to a vote of Twitter shareholders and regulatory approvals. Twitter stock was up 5.6 percent at the close of trading on Wall Street. Elaine. Nikki Batiste, thank you. For more, I'm joined by David Kirkpatrick. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Techonomy Media, which reports on tech's impact on business and society. David, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Elon Musk has called Twitter a a digital town square, but now that square will be controlled by one person, him. What are the potential positives and negatives for users and for the company now that this sale is happening? You're going to love this. Well, given that it is him and given that he is so driven by whimsy and so unpredictable, that is a very difficult question to answer. I mean, when have we ever seen, first of all, this is the biggest buyout of a public company in many years, and it was done by a guy who priced it to refer to marijuana. The The, the price includes the 420, which is a, a signal about marijuana. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. 
you can't predict what he's going to do. Uh, the thing that interests me, though, I think, is that if if it was really a great financial deal, there would have been other bidders probably who would have potentially uh, been come in as white knights kind of thing. Uh, but in reality, he's paying a high price for a service with plans on his part that don't necessarily, in my opinion, suggest that he'll be able to make a big profit and make it grow from here. Because a lot of the things that he's talking about doing and the things your earlier guests were discussing could very well reduce the commercial viability of the service. There's a lot of things he could do and that he sounds like he's interested in doing that could be problematic for Twitter as a business. Some of them might be very good for it as a platform for conversation online. There's some things he's proposing that I really like, but some things I think could be very risky. So let's talk a bit more about that online conversation. Twitter, of course, has played a big role in elections and social movements here in the U.S. and in countries around the world. How do you see Twitter factoring into those sorts of things once Elon Musk is in control? Well, he certainly will hope that it doesn't change. I mean, he wants Twitter to remain the de facto platform for global conversation by the elite, including government officials, the media, etc., which it really is. It is the de facto town square for the global elite. Mm -hmm. That's a critical role. And obviously, he's very proud to own that now or seem to be heading towards owning it. Um, so but but he also has a number of things he said he wants to do. He wants to reduce advertising. He wants to increase subscriptions and make it more of a paid service. He wants to authenticate everyone on it, which I think is a very good idea. But he also seems to want to reduce the amount of moderation that the service provides. And that could be very problematic. That is the key to the dissent against Elon Musk owning Twitter. Did you hear the terms that were thrown in there? Misinformation, disinformation. This guy just did a diatribe on, I don't see any way he's going to be able to make any money with it. This is the epitome of run for the hills. Disinformation and misinformation. And did you hear what he said? They're going to have people on there saying, God knows what. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. But you can't have that. Moderation's got to be maintained. There has to be a cop in the deal. Well... Let me tell you, I own a company that May the 2nd will be 30 years old. 30 years ago, as an entrepreneur, I started this company. I'm not in the operations of the company any longer. I stepped to the side after 30 years. What I found out is when I owned the company, guess what I could do? Anything I wanted to do. And if it didn't make money based on one of my choices or several of my choices, Guess who paid the price? It wasn't stockholders. There weren't any. It was just me. Elon Musk is looking at the same situation. They can't handle this, they being the left. You can't take a social media giant out of the control of the censors, the people that know what's good and right and best for everybody that breathes. A handful of hardcore leftists in Silicon Valley are the ones that have been usurping free speech on Twitter. They're still doing it elsewhere. WhatsApp, Facebook, and whatever else you want to go into. Censorship is what they call moderating speech, hate speech. 
Yeah, right. They kicked Donald Trump off Twitter, did those Twitter sycophants, and the leader of Iran, whose number one thing is debt to Americans, he still posts every day. They want to censor hate speech? That illustrates why it is going to be wonderful for everybody, for the capitalist system to work again the way it's supposed to work again, and to keep government from clamping down on free speech using their minions in mainstream media like Twitter and Facebook as their instruments of sowing disinformation and misinformation instead of just giving us facts. Now, don't don't ever think for a second any social media platform is a real impartial journalistic source to get news and information. They're not. What you're going to get is you'll get a perspective on the news and information. A perspective is anything but the truth. We call that columns or editorials, which are opinion pieces. Social media is supposed to be about that, sharing our hearts, sharing our ideals, venting, all those kind of things that are all rolled into free speech. And what you just heard the CBS announcer talking about was losing control of that. And OMG, what's going to happen to the world now that Elon Musk is going to control Twitter? Oh my gosh, one person can make all those decisions. Well, you heard CBS News. Why don't we listen to an analysis of the Twitter purchase by Elon Musk from somebody on the other side of the aisle? The political earthquake is Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Now, financially, it's the same offers a week ago, $54.20 in cash, transaction valued at $44 billion. Twitter becomes a privately held company. It's 38% premium Twitter's closing stock price on April 1. So that's great for the shareholders. So financially, terrific. But the earthquake is really political. That's the story. The idea that conservatives will no longer be kept off Twitter, which is, of course, highly influential with 250-some-odd million participants, well, that is very cool. Elon Musk. Musk said earlier today, and I'm going to quote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has Tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Wonderful. Wonderful, Elon. Just wonderful. So besides democracy enhancing freedom of speech, we might even learn what was inside those silly, shady shenanigan algorithms which kept free speech off Twitter. You folks have heard me praise Elon Musk time and again for his libertarian, limited government, free market common sense freedom agenda. This move to purchase Twitter becomes the crown jewel achievement for him, not to downgrade Tesla electric cars or SpaceX, which themselves are tremendous achievements. But as I said earlier, this move to acquire Twitter is a political earthquake. It's one of the rare free speech victories, probably the only free speech victory 
in the rigged world of social media. My only regret is he didn't buy Facebook. Well, who knows? Maybe Peter Thiel or somebody like that who believes in free speech and conservative principles might go after Facebook or Google or these other phony left-wing media outlets. Only seven months before the midterm elections, where the cavalry's coming with a major red wave, I don't know what my friends on the left are going to do. I can hear them right now grinding their teeth. Get ready for the Elon hit pieces from the usual suspects like the New York Times. The NAACP completely lost their mind in a press release attack on Elon this afternoon. I mean, they just completely lost their mind. The Washington Post opinion columnists are on the prowl. But Elon should wear these attacks as a badge of honor. Indeed, a red badge of courage. Hard to say what caused Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal to change his mind. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy, who was a public critic of free speech and who was presiding over the demise of Twitter's share price in its entire business, at first he tried to stop Elon with the poison pill, but then he folded like the cheap suit that he is. Maybe we'll discover what went on inside the Twitter board meeting during talks held last night and in prior days. But no one will mourn Parag's passing. No one. Elon Musk is a self-described, and I'm going to quote, free speech absolutist. He said that in a recent interview at a conference. We should all be grateful for his contribution to open political discourse. This is also a major blow against the entire wokeism movement. CEOs of woke and non-woke companies, beware. Caveat emptor. The free market capitalist system that the woke crowd hates so much is alive and well in America. It is teaching us how to strike back at those who oppose traditional First Amendment values. The fact that Elon Musk used an investment takeover strategy is also very important. He's knocked out a far left social media platform without the use of big government. That is what kills these leftists. He did it without government. That means they don't have permission now to go in and demand input into whatever happens at Twitter because of their positions in the federal government. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they've got to be crying because they lost one of their greatest signal callers out there. That's whoever is at the top of Twitter. Supposed to be at the top of a free speech platform but it's nothing. It has been nothing like a free speech platform. Now, let me give you something that I consider a hint to what Elon Musk is going to do. Listen to this. Twitter today has taken the unusual step of locking down its source code after the board of directors accepted Elon's bid to take over the company. Now, what does that mean? Well, the code lockdown, algorithms, you remember those evil algorithms we've heard about, locking it down is going to make it harder for employees, disgruntled employees or otherwise, to make changes in the algorithms. Bloomberg News cited as its source people familiar with the matter. In other words, some, uh, some, free speech censors inside of Twitter. Any changes to Twitter's code will require approval from a vice president. 
Twitter acted to keep employees who may be miffed about the deal from going rogue. (laughs) That's according to Bloomberg. Oh my gosh, this is just setting the news world on, on fire just in. Twitter employees apparently added a public repository called The Algorithm on the platform's GitHub account shortly before the source code was locked. Musk said he wanted to make the Twitter algorithm open source. For non-techies, it seems that some developers at Twitter wanted to send a message to Elon by uploading some empty software to him. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is absolutely nuts, folks. It's already started. (laughs) I mean, it has already started and he's not even formally in control yet. But let's do this. Let's just look ahead a little bit. We're going to do this together and I'm into opinion mode now. That's where we are, and this is my show, so I have the right to express my opinion. You do too, by the way, unfettered. If you want to chat about Twitter or anything else this morning, give us a call, toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. I don't think anybody can argue it's been a crazy week, and we're just in our second day. A really good week, though, for free speech or free speech control at least. Why? Well, it's because while most Americans don't give a rip about Twitter, our society's broader social media habits uh, and their exaggerations means that control of free speech still matters a great deal. How? Well, aside from its fun and its investigative uses, Twitter is where much of corporate media messaging is crafted and honed were thoughts and ideas that deviate from the ruling class or suppressed and where left-wing cancel mobs are empowered and thereby they're able to lead our business and political elites along by their noses. In the coming days, weeks, and months, we're going to get a clearer idea of what's coming. But far from spectators, we're all players in this drama. While everybody's looking at and thinking about Elon Musk, Twitter's employees, the federal government, and the American entrepreneur all have a role to play in this thing. So let's just start talking about Elon. While his generally pro-Bill of Rights, anti-censorship, and anti-technocrat musings have been going on for some time, the announcement yesterday gave the clearest sign yet of good things to come. After restating his commitment to holding what's going to be a private company to the Bill of Rights, the Tesla billionaire proposed a a bunch of policy changes, including defeating the spam bots, authenticating all humans, and making the algorithms open source. Why would he do all that to increase trust? The first two of those are really big steps, very important. If successful, These changes will make the service far more usable. It'll tame these bot-driven mobs and finally and permanently deflate the censor's favorite Russian bots, Bogeyman. Publicizing algorithms, you just got to admit in a social media platform, it's it's essential, it's got to be there. 
Silicon Valley's algorithms have achieved near-myth status within the censorship regime, catching fact and fiction, journalists and politicians, Christians and activists, scientists and concerned parents alike in their nets. They're the ones that have been censoring and controlling free speech. The ensuing censorship leans heavily towards viewpoints that dissent from the left-wing narrative. But each time a censorship decision turns out to be indefensible, the blame is always placed on that evil, wicked algorithm with no insight or accountability ever offered, no explanation. It's just a glitch in the algorithm. What's been the result? A censorship bureau where the means, the methods, the culprits, the officers are all protected from public scrutiny. Musk is going to change this. If he does, when he does, he'll expose other companies' algorithm excuses as the lies that they are and drive a stake into the beating heart of regime suppression. What he can accomplish is going to depend on how much time he can commit, who he puts in charge of day-to-day operations, and who he fires. I mean, come on now. The guy's got a few commitments elsewhere. He's split right now between SpaceX, Neutralink, The Boring Company, and Tesla, which, by the way, Tesla doesn't have a COO while it's fighting well-funded marketplace competition. Markets go up and down. That's capitalism. But if Monday's 0.7% drop in Tesla stock means anything, some investors are spooked. It's true the richest man in the world has so far impressed and so far gone undefeated, but the Twitter fight poses a real challenge for him. Far from welcoming their new owner, employee meltdowns have already made headlines since Musk announced his initial stake in the company. Based on what we've seen, he can't rely on unsupervised cooperation with these plans, this transition. It's going to implode Twitter if that is the approach that's taken. That makes the person he chooses to execute his vision all the more essential. So that's on the boss. What about the employees? Well, too many American companies cave to activist employees' choruses of execration, threats of mass resignation. Musk, he shows not even a hint of following suit. Even Contrarily, their immolations will serve as a signing bonus, removing the most fanatical opponents of his vision for Twitter's future. Given the staff widden meltdown, he'll need more than this in a manager. And former CEO Jack Dorsey, who expressed the fact that he's pleased with the buyout and is rumored to be returning to Twitter, eh, it ain't going to cut it with him at the top. Although he's more pre-speech than the current CEO, and he's a friend of Elon Musk, by the way, is Jack Dorsey, he's proven himself a weak manager who will struggle greatly to rein in the company that he founded. Musk's plans are going to take both serious hiring and serious firings, and few believe Dorsey has what it'll take to return freedom of expression to Twitter. As U.S. presidents from Adam through Trump have found out, Personnel is policy. Weak generals are going to fail no matter how devoted they are. Bad actors will smile in your face 
and work to undermine your goals stab you in the back when you turn away. Elon is certainly aware of this, but given the demands on his attention and how divided that attention is, people he hires at the top are going to make or break whatever he wants to do. His employees, however, are not the only force interested in derailing free speech Twitter. There's the government. Shortly after finding out they were losing a reliable censorship partner through Musk acquisition of Twitter, the White House repeated its interest in regulating Silicon Valley in order to police misinformation. You know, they've been telling us for years now, oh, we've got to come in. Uh, the, The big one, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, Every election cycle, she was up there preaching, we got to rein in big tech. we got to stop all the misinformation. And then it would get quiet after the election. Nothing was said until the next election. It's hard to say where bipartisan efforts to rein in Silicon Valley is going to go ultimately. But it's easy to see how essential Twitter has made itself to the White House and to all their friends. From promoting helpful content to suppressing damaging content, like the truth, (laughs) like the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? In all of that, big tech has done its best to apologize for its part in the election of Donald Trump and make sure nothing like that ever happens again, right? While the cell seems to be moving along despite the skeptical murmurings of most observers, it's still important to just kind of remain Uh, cautiously optimistic. The Federal Trade Commission, for example, they've got a say in this sale if it it even is going to happen. And while it takes a serious feat of logic to understand how owning a rocket company, an electric car company, and a free speech company represents a threat to competition, the threat that Musk freeing Twitter poses to the regime might prove too tempting a motivation to let it pass. It's wild to see either way. The ruling class reaction to a billionaire they don't like dethroning a billionaire they do like. But while it can be disheartening to so plainly see just how oligarchic the United States has become, I mean, we look like the Russian elite looking around the nation right now, it's crucial to remember that we the people still have a role. The billionaires won't solve our problems on their own. They got to have help. Elon appears poised to do the American people a great service. But the reality is Elon Musk isn't going to save us. And the reason? Well, Twitter is a powerful tool for our ruling class and an important battle to wage. It's just one of many fights, even on the tech front. Consider this, for example. Twitter runs on Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services is the cloud company that would-be Twitter competitor Parler ran on too. Before, Amazon Web Services cut Parler off from its servers on completely false pretenses, virtually destroying the company at the moment it was taking off with rhetoric, meteoric growth. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is a fierce critic of Elon Musk. Yesterday, Bezos, the head of Amazon Web Services, 
tweeted an offer to those Twitter employees who refused to work for our First Amendment company. We're hiring an Amazon. That's what they tweeted. Each battle you see, it leads to the next battle. Social media censorship, just that part of the iceberg visible to passing ships. Under the surface where you can't see, the left is threatening already access to banks, loans, servers, investments, search and email services, office and payroll management, and the list goes on and on and on. Fighting this will take some really smart ideas, really hard work, and an entrepreneur's will to resist incredible pressure on every aspect of his life. But if those who can help don't work to get our own house in order, we're just trading one oligarch for a smarter, more freedom-interested one. More than that, most importantly, we ain't going to win. It's great to have the richest man in the world on the side of freedom. We need the help. But that cause of freedom won't work. Even with Elon Musk in his deep pockets, it won't work without the people. We, the people. And after all, isn't that, wasn't that, the way it was structured in the very beginning that the government did not govern lording over the people in our constitutional representative republic. In that format, it's to the bottom up. Control at the bottom, we the people. And the people we send to D.C. actually work for us. So we're their bosses, right? I think Washington, D.C. forgets about that. They don't even want to talk about it. And one of the biggest things about Elon Musk taking Twitter private is there's no reliance on the federal government and they can't stand it. They're losing one of their biggest mouthpieces that every day 24-7 spins whatever the government wants to say that the Americans are, the country is, and force us just to swallow it with no dissent. Or you'll get kicked off of Twitter, right? Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And My Computer Career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. 
So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Get not only the news, but the truth in the news. From TNN, the Truth News Network. Dan Newman. Well, in the fog of all of what's right in front of our faces, the fog, well, it's not covering what's right in our faces. It's covering up what's behind that. And what might that be? We've talked to you here on TNN Live several times about dark money. Dark money, that's political dollars that uh, are donated to the causes of various candidates across the nation. And the big thing about dark money is who is that giving that dark money is not required to be reported to the Federal Election Committee. Well, dark money groups that are associated with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Nancy, House Speaker Pelosi. They've already invested, (laughs) and that really is an investment. It's not contribution. They don't give money away without quid pro quo. I gave you a big campaign dollar amount. You got to give me something for that after you get elected or reelected. They've already raised $20 million in hidden donor cash into the midterm elections. And this is according to federal records. Now remember, the amount is there, it's public record, $20 million. But instead of a campaign, the actual campaign of a candidate, or a political action committee that that candidate works with or for, all of that money and who's donating is public. This dark money is not. So this cash has gone straight to the Senate majority and House majority PACs, which are tied to Schumer and Pelosi. The PACs bankroll Senate and House Democrats, many of whom are railing against dark money's political influence while they're taking it. Why is that? The people don't like it. It's slush money. It's nothing else but slush money. And it is all built around quid pro quo. Majority Forward is a nonprofit that does not identify its donors on tax forms. Dark money. They poured nearly $15 million into the midterms up to the end of March. The Senate Majority Pact took in all of Majority Forward's cash for the midterm. So you give it, you give it to Majority Forward, it's not tax deductible, but that doesn't matter. You're buying, you're buying something by contributing to a Democrat entity, and your name's going to be kept secret. So then that majority forward, they cut the check to the Senate Majority PAC. And all it is, is a donation from Majority Forward. Who put all of these deals together and made this structure what it is today? The United States Congress. They're taking care of, uh, let me think, who's in that line of fire? Oh, they're taking care 
of themselves, right? Let's be clear. This is a majority forward spokesperson. Quote, let's be clear. Corporate Republicans are the only ones standing in the way of increasing transparency and making progress on campaign finance reform. In other words, the Democrats got it all figured out. We just gave you an example. They give all this money, millions of dollars, and they're in secret doing it. They give it to Majority Forward, which is a dark money entity. And they turn around, and basically what they do is they're just going hand-to-hand and hiding the ownership chain. This same spokesperson said, we look forward to the day when Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans stop blocking these badly needed reforms, but until then, we'll continue to play by the rules of the current system, level the playing field for Democrats in the face of what we are confident are enormous corporate special interest spending. On the other side, Majority Forward's midterm funding follows $60 million the group injected into the 2020 elections, and they were all 100% of it to help Democrats regain Senate majority. It's now pushed $75 million into elections over the two cycles. That's a big increase over the $5.5 million it injected for the 2016 and 2018 elections combined. Now, Schumer's involved in this nonprofit, it's funneled the anonymous cash into his political action committee, which is legal. And he's doing all of that while he's up front and center almost every day criticizing dark money. And from his own mouth, Chuck Schumer numerous times has said dark money corrupted our politics. Who created dark money, Chuck? You guys in Congress, you want to stop it? We know you don't want to stop it. Do you think it's evil? We we agree with you. It's evil. But you won't stop it and you're the only ones that can? Let me figure out that chain of uh, responsibility. Uh, it would be leadership in the Democrat Party, leadership in the Republican Party. Why would any of you ever turn your back on money? Does it matter to you if the public knows who's giving it to you? Well, it may later down the road when you have to dole out some favors to pay back that dark money that came. It didn't come straight to your campaign account, but it came through a pact that you control, which is all legal by the letter of the law, but it's as dirty as politics can get. Majority forward skyrocketing election funding was made possible due to a banner fundraising haul from its anonymous donors. They primarily work on Democrat voter engagement efforts. They raked in a record 92 mil in contributions in 2020. And we don't have any idea of who gave a dime of that $90 million plus. Isn't that nasty? I mean... Even when I tell that story, I just feel like I'm dirty. I need a shower. And people like Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, they stand up in front of these microphones and these cameras, and they just go on and on and on about the virtues of what they're doing and that the evil Republicans over there, they are getting in our way. We're trying to do election campaign reform, and they won't agree with it. 
Of course, the reason they won't agree with it is none of them want to do away with dark money. Anything that starts or has any plank in it in the way of proposed legislation that's going to take dark money away, it's dead. Those two, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, have to agree for any legislation to come before either the House or the Senate. Nobody from the floor can throw something up there and have any power to get it on record to be discussed publicly. It has to come from the House Speaker and the minority uh, majority leader in the Senate. They're not going to do anything to take away money from them. They're just not going to do it. The love of money is the root of all evil. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to break down some big tech censorship. You're not going to believe these numbers. I'm talking about censorship of political candidates and politicians. And it is very obvious when I give you the numbers that there is a bunch of partisanship going on in the media, probably even more going on in the media than we thought was going on in the media. We're going to look specifically at the criticism of Joe Biden from the media. You're not going to believe how obvious it is. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird, I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell. A partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. Now you're going to have to listen closely. I'm going to give you numbers here, and it's important. This is about censorship in the media 
and the numbers are critical to the understanding and getting a foundation from which you can make some good decisions. Big tech platforms have censored the criticism of this president more than 600 times over the past two years. Listen to these numbers. Media Research Center, which is a Virginia-based American contents analysis and media watchdog group, through its, it's got what's called a sensor track database. They found that between March of 2020 and March of this year, big tech media platforms, including Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, deleted or censored 646 accounts or posts that criticized Joe Biden. So of the more than 600 cases, 140 of those posts censored by big tech involved that New York Post report and that story about Hunter Biden and his allegedly corrupt foreign business dealings and, of course, the laptop. After the Post reported on emails and other material from that laptop, Twitter blocked the circulation of the story while other news outlets cast doubt on the veracity of the developments in the story. That, the fact that they did that, because this news came out shortly before the 2020 election, there is no doubt it impacted the election results. And purposely, that's why big tech, hardcore left big tech, and I'm talking about Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Google, they all censored anybody that was on those platforms giving any information about the laptop scandal. The watchdogs report also found 232 posts that mentioned Biden's behavior with women and children were censored. And one example of it, a Facebook post that claimed to show images of Biden kissing his adult granddaughter on the lips during a campaign stop in Iowa. It was captioned, quote, find someone who kisses you the way Joe Biden kisses his granddaughter. That was reportedly deleted for violating the platform's community standards on nudity or sexual activity. In another one, news outlet Breaking 911 on Instagram quoted the president talking about COVID-19 vaccines saying, Freedom, I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. No, I mean, come on, freedom? That post was removed for promoting violence and incitement. MRC Free Speech America, they counted 646 cases in its censor track database of pro-Biden censorship. The tally included cases from Biden's presidential candidacy to the present day, just all the way through. The worst cases of censorship included platforms targeting anyone who dared to speak about any subject related to the New York Post bombshell Hunter Biden story. And here we are today, folks. We know it's out there. We know the FBI is all up into it. We don't have any any idea how deep it is. But let me tell you the sad thing about this. I don't know about you, but I sit in this spot regarding all this. It's great. I'm excited about it, but my excitement is tempted down. Why? Because it's our government that's involved in this. When is our government ever being held accountable by anybody in tech? Certainly nobody from Silicon Valley. And you want to go to the broadcast side of the world? Go to New York City, Washington, D.C.? We have 
three big broadcast nationwide, not on cable networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. NBC also has uh, MSNBC, and they have CNBC, so they've got those two cable outlets in addition to their big voice with broadcast media. ABC, pretty much the same. CBS, pretty much the same. And then we have all of the little ones, the cable news networks. Do you know how much of America those reach, the American people? It's far more than 80% of America look in or listen to some of that stuff from those media outlets. The big three have been there since I was a kid, ABC, CBS, NBC. That's the only place we used to go to get any news. That was after we got our first black and white television. Yeah, I know, I'm old. (laughs) Big tech is all about controlling the narrative. It has nothing to do about free speech and just giving us stuff and letting us, trusting us to make our own choices. What have I told you for years at Truth News Network? When somebody is screaming and hollering about one thing, pointing their finger at it, and it's in the political sphere, what you know every single time, when they look at this, whatever it is, and they say, my political person opponent on the other side is doing, look at what they're doing. They're doing this. Almost every time that happens, what we should be looking for is what and where that person that's screaming and hollering is doing that exact same thing and want to divert our attentions away from the possibility of them doing it, accusing a political opponent of doing it. And it works. It works. Look at what happened in the 2016 debacle about the elections. Trump, oh, it was fact. All the mainstream news media. I don't even know how he won because of how he was being pounded by the left left media in America. Obviously, he also won because the votes that were cast were counted as compared to 2020. Oh, my gosh. But look at what happened in 2016. Look what's going on still today. And we're going to talk about the Durham investigation and some new developments in a minute. But nobody even talked about back then Hillary Clinton having any kind of involvement or the Democrat Party having any kind of involvement at trying to flip that election and do favors and do stuff that was sufficient to get Hillary Clinton into the White House. They tried hard. They tried hard. But nobody talked about that as a possibility. It was all about Vladimir Putin. He wants Donald Trump to be president. He's doing everything he can to get the American people to vote for Trump. We've got to stop the evil orange man. And they begin to sow disinformation. They got our own tax dollars to investigate everything and everybody in the Trump campaign. Why? Because of a steel dossier. No mention ever of anything to do with Hillary Clinton or her campaign. They were above that. She and Bill, they'd never been involved in any kind of horror show or any kind of mis, uh, mismanagement of anything, or lying to the American people. They'd never done that. Ah, their lives are full of that, but still they were given a free pass by mainstream media. And here we are today, and guess what's happening? We're finding out they were up to their necks in it from the very beginning. 
And we're looking at, very quickly, folks, we're looking at some subpoenas to people now involved in the Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. John Durham has issued trial subpoenas for Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, also to the Democratic National Committee, Fusion GPS, and Perkins Coy, that law firm, as Durham continues to prosecute his findings as special counsel from which he charged cybersecurity lawyer Michael Sussman, who in 2016 happened to be in the Clinton campaign. Sussman got charged with lying to the FBI. Hillary's campaign, the DNC, Washington-based private intelligence firm Fusion GPS, and that law firm Perkins Coy, Sussman's former employer, are trying to fend off Durham's efforts to compel them to hand over previously withheld documents. The Hillary campaign and Sussman's lawyers argued that attorney-client privilege should allow them to keep the records concealed. Well, 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 why would they want to keep them concealed? Why would they do that? Why would Hillary Clinton keep a secret email server at her house in New York when she communicated with the President of the United States, Barack Obama then, on that unsecured, unclassified email server that nobody knew was there. Barack Obama sent and received emails from that, and we know, after the fact, everything that was on that server, as it was put on the server, was being cloned overseas. They were getting all this information. Who were they? The Chinese. Nothing ever happened to Hillary for that. Nothing. So what about this... um, attorney-client privilege stuff. Well, if there's wrongdoing and the evidence is there of the wrongdoing, it needs to make, if you don't want to make it public, seal it. But it needs to be entered in this thing. Durham was tasked, it was about March through May of 2019, with looking over the origins of the FBI investigation of that disproven Trump-Russia collusion narrative He says his investigation has led him to believe that the Clinton allied groups played a coordinating role in pushing these false claims. In May of 2017, special counsel, former FBI head Robert Mueller, he found no Trump-Russia collusion to sway the 2016 election. Earlier this month, Durham said that Fusion GPS was not primarily providing or supporting expertise related to legal advice, Instead, he said, it appears the investigative firm's primary, if not sole, function was to generate opposition research material that the firm then shared widely. And produce it, he did. Fusion GPS created it out of nowhere and sold it all as truthful. On April 23rd, Durham said of the group's meeting to agree on the express goal of a joint venture is precisely what happened here on more than one occasion. He said that, and here's the legal language. This is what I want to make sure you follow. Quote, tech executive number one, Rodney Jaffe, originator number one, April Lorenzen of the information services from Zetalytics and other researchers all started to discuss searching for and collecting derogatory internet data 
about the online activities of Trump and his associates in June of 2016. Lorenzen assembled and shared initial purported data with Jaffe, who in turn shared the data with Sussman. And this is from John Durham. We're getting this information. And this report continued. The joint venture continued and crystallized early in August 2016 when Sussman, Jaffe, and agents of the Clinton campaign met. While citing an August 12, 2016 meeting where Sussman, Jaffe, Mark Elias, who was the former Perkins Coy partner, and the co-founder of Fusion gathered in Elias's office to talk about the same Russian Bank One allegations that the defendant would later bring to the FBI. They all agreed to conduct work in the hope that it would benefit the Clinton campaign, gathering and disseminating purportedly derogatory data regarding Trump and his associates' internet activities. The evidence will show, this is Durham now, evidence will show as a result of these conversations and during this same time period, Tech Executive One did exactly that. He tasked employees from multiple internet companies in a university working under a pending national security contract to mine and gather vast amounts of internet metadata in order to support an inference and narrative tying the candidate Donald Trump to Russia. Durham went on to add that Jaffe continued the joint venture through August 17, 2016, call with Sussman and Elias on August 19th, meeting with Sussman and Elias, and a September 8th, 2016 call and meeting with Sussman. All of these, according to Durham, citing calendars he has viewed, were billed to the Clinton campaign by the defendant. In other words, he was working for the campaign. That's no big deal, but he lied to the FBI about working for the Clinton campaign. Durham further said that Jaffe also requested the CEO of an internet company to mine and analyze large amounts of internet traffic for derogatory information about Trump and his associates' online communications and internet connections. Jaffe also sent the CEO of the internet company a list containing private information like email addresses, IP addresses, physical addresses of multiple Trump associates, many of who were being researched by Fusion GPS. Jaffe had made it clear his desire to ensure that Perkins and the Clinton campaign would be happy, his word, happy, with the information he's discovered. Sussman was indicted September of 2021. Why? Lying to the FBI when he claimed he had information about an alleged secret communication channel between Trump and a Russian bank. Claims which were false and were proven to be false. Sussman allegedly told the FBI General Counsel James Baker in October of election year 2016, while making the claims of alleged communications, he was not representing any client, while he, in fact, was billing the time to the Clinton campaign. Now I'm going to stop right there. You just heard all of this stuff being laid out. Do you understand why it has taken John Durham so long to get this to this particular point. Can you imagine the process that a prosecutor has to go through, especially when you're dealing with somebody like the Clinton campaign? They know all the tricks of investigative work. In fact, they may have invented some of those tricks. 
They know how to use them to stall, to hold off, to hide, misrepresent, have no or try to have no accountability for any of their wrongdoing. Who can ever forget the Clinton Foundation when that horrible earthquake hit Haiti years ago? They championed the cause to go in there and really get these Haitian people back on their feet, right? You remember that? Hundreds of millions of dollars were donated from corporations and individuals from around the world. Less than 10% of it ended up in any substantive way taking any substantive part in the lives of Haitian people trying to recover from an earthquake. Where'd all that money go? The Clinton Foundation. So I'm just bringing that up to explain to you why it has taken us so long to get to where we are today. Every possible roadblock that you can imagine was thrown up to stop John Durham from getting access to information. Now, flip side of that, go on the other side. Just imagine what you would find out is factual if you ever had access to the whole thing. Open access. This would be a open and shut case, I promise you. And people would be arrested and people would go to jail. But it's Washington, D.C. We're talking about politics. We're talking about very politically at the top, important and tied in people. Those are the ones that it's hardest to get to. And it's not because of their wrongdoing, folks. It's because of the network that has been put together and has been perpetuated by people in Congress to hide wrongdoing on the part of themselves and hide wrongdoing on the part of others. Deny, deflect. That's what it's all about. Well, guess what else is happening in the nation today? We've got midterm elections coming up. What does that mean? Long term, it means that there are a lot of things that are going to come out between now and then about candidates, about policies, and you're going to see, if you think you're seeing scrambling in the White House to stay away from answering questions on the real serious things, if you think it's been bad before, think about what's going to happen right now between today and November the 8th on the midterm election day. Why? What am I talking about? The Hunter Biden laptop debacle. It's it's going viral. It's everywhere. And every day it seems like more and more information comes out that implicates Hunter Biden in something. And it's not just about Hunter Biden. It's about the fact that who his dad is and how involved his dad was. And in spite of what The president has said numerous times, especially in one-on-one conversations with Peter Ducey of Fox News, the White House correspondent. On more than one occasion, Ducey has asked Biden what his involvement was in his son's and his brother's international business. Every single time he's asked that question, he said he knew nothing about it, never met with anybody, and guess what's happening? He's getting caught in lies. We found out, it was reported yesterday, we reported that 19 times Hunter Hunter Biden's business partner had nothing to do with politics, was his business partner 19 times was in the White House, the Obama White House, 
meeting with Joe, with Hunter, and people in the Obama and the Biden administrative offices about what we don't know. But we know they would only be there for business purposes because there were no political connections or attractions. Every few days now, we're going to be seeing lie after lie after lie being exposed. Wow. Well, we haven't talked about the southern border. We haven't talked about Ukraine. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do both. And there's breaking news at every front. So don't go anywhere. Back in a minute. 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 10 10 10 Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10 10 10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Well, what about cheating in elections? Oh my gosh, we're going down that road again? Well, it's still going on. It's going on in Georgia right now. They are investigating all kinds of illegalities in the 2020 election. They have signaled a focus in a wide-ranging investigation into alleged illegal ballot trafficking during the 2020 election. What are they doing? They're subpoenaing. They're sending subpoenas, and those subpoenas target the possible source of funding for this type of operation and any eyewitness participants. The four subpoenas got yesterday through an open records request shows the State Elections Board and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger want the identity of any suspected participants in ballot harvesting 
including one whistleblower identified only as John Doe, who an election watchdog claims admitted to gathering ballots for cash. The document demands were delivered late last week to the election integrity watchdog True the Vote, its founder Catherine Engelbrecht, and its researchers from a company called Opsec Group LLC. They're looking for evidence that backs up the group's complaint last November, alleging that as many as 240 people illegally gathered third-party ballots during the battleground state's November 2020 election and the following U.S. Senate races, the runoff. In those subpoenas, there's requests for the identity and contact information of those several individuals regarding personal knowledge, methods, and organizations involved in ballot trafficking in Georgia referenced in the complaint, and also any records, transcripts, summaries, testimony, statements, witness interviews, notes, or other documents describing what those individuals said. That request includes the identity of a whistleblower Engelbrecht's group interviewed that admitted being paid $10 for ballots he collected and all statements John Doe made regarding his alleged participation in ballot harvesting in Georgia. The subpoena also seeks contact information for John Doe's mother and any evidence of whether True the Vote paid any of his medical bills. The subpoenas are signed by Acting State Elections Board Chairman Matt Mashburn also target any information the group and its researchers have about the funding streams for this ballot harvesting scheme. It's still, it's still wrong. You can't do it. You can't talk about election fraud in the 2020 election. That's the big lie. We all know that. That was beaten into our brain so hard, nobody on the left would even let anybody speak one word about it without immediately being squashed. I mean, you were just canceled. And yet here we are, Wisconsin investigation found, a real investigation found, real illegal actions in Wisconsin. Same thing in Michigan, same thing in Pennsylvania, same thing in Georgia. And here we are, folks, we're facing a midterm election. We're two years after that away from a presidential election. And this stuff is just now leaking out into the public. What does that tell you? Evil people do evil things. People that are taking actions that would be extremely dangerous to them if discovered, when they see that there are complicit power brokers in government and they're complicit in helping you do those surreptitious things to change the results of an election sufficient so you can install the government in office that you want. Think about in world history what that sounds like. I mean, that sounds like a puppet nation. That sounds like a banana republic in the old Caribbean days where you could just go in and buy anything in government and anybody. Is that really what we have here? Is that really what the left wants? Well, sure it is. I'm by elected politicians 
the same way I'm by many people in law enforcement. A lot of people get into law enforcement for the wrong reasons. They get in so they can have power over people, so they can carry a gun. And I'm not talking about anything close to a majority of people in law enforcement. I'm saying there are people in every law enforcement agency, or pretty much every every one of those, that has somebody that likes and has a lust for power, the power that comes with being in law enforcement. Same thing holds true for politicians. There are some people out there in office today, duly elected, I'll give them that, but the very fundamental reason they're in politics at all was they are drawn to a sense of power that comes through lording over and impacting election results. And unless and until they're caught and held accountable for it, it's going to continue to roll over and roll over and roll over. You heard that Mark Zuckerberg made an announcement, he and his wife, they're going to be quiet. They're not giving any money to any election causes this go-round. That's after they gave about half a billion dollars specifically for, and it impacted directly, the election results in 2020 in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, and in Arizona. We think it happened in Georgia too, but that's yet to be proven. The investigation is underway. And what I told you in those states, those are no longer suspected. It's been proven. Voter irregularity, and it's from the top down. It's from the governor's offices down in these states. Governors took actions in the election process they constitutionally had no authority to do, and their actions directly impacted the election results. Do you think Zuckerberg got afraid they were going to be exposed for what they actually did? I think that's still on the table, but I don't think in this administration with a leftist attorney general that's running a DOJ that is feckless, they're doing nothing but politicize everything that they do, and they do it in the name of righteousness. And of course, who are the arbiters of righteousness? They are. When you're the cops and you're supposed to report and hold anybody accountable for breaking laws and you get away with breaking laws that you're holding other people accountable for, who's going to hold you accountable? That's where they are right now, and they're not being. They are not being held accountable. That's the way we're living in this right now, and that's why we're in this hole that many that came before us dug us into, and we're scratching and clawing, but it's hard to get out. When we see things like what's happening with Twitter, when Elon Musk, who is a filthy rich, he's the richest guy on the planet, and he goes and spends a bunch of money and declares he's buying Twitter for one reason and one reason only, and it's not about making profit. It's about implementing free speech, just like it's supposed to constitutionally be. That will be the very first media platform on a large, wide scale that is taking that kind of action. That's very refreshing to me. And that's just one example. You watch. There's going to be some copycat stuff go. I promise you. So what's going on over in Europe? 
Russia's top diplomat, Sergei Lavrov, you see him all the time. He has warned that NATO is now fighting a proxy war with Russia and Ukraine, and there's a very serious risk the conflict could turn nuclear because of that. Now, I'll give you the explanation, but this makes no sense. Late last night on Russian state TV, Lavrov accused Western leaders of risking a third world war. What are they doing wrong? They're giving heavy weapons to Ukraine with the goal of wearing down the Russian army, a name he described as an illusion. And of course, it's not an illusion. They're really down militarily. He accused NATO and NATO allies for attempting to bully Russia on an international stage. He said the tensions between East and West are now worse than during the Cuban Missile Crisis at the height of the Cold War. Asked directly when he was about the possibility of a nuclear war. Listen to what he said. I'm going to quote him. The risks are very significant. I do not want the danger to be artificially inflated but it is serious, real serious. It cannot be underestimated. Lavrov said during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there were not many written rules, but the rules of conduct were clear enough. Moscow understood how Washington was behaving. Washington understood how Moscow was behaving. Now there are a few rules left. And he added, back then in those years, there was a channel of communication that both leaders trusted. Now, there's no such channel, and nobody's trying to create it. America did set up a deconfliction line to Moscow in the early days of the Ukraine war, but said the Russians, they stopped answering the phone. (laughs) Lavrov also repeated warnings that shipment of Western weapons into Ukraine is going to be considered legitimate target by Russia. That comes the day after missiles struck the country's train network in an apparent attempt to stop the delivery. I just can't believe in in what we just heard there, that they got the uh, one-on-one telephone line between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. And when Joe calls Vladimir, they don't answer the phone. (laughs) I know it's a sad, sad thing, and Ukraine is really going through it, and it's not a laughing matter, and I'm not laughing at Ukraine or anybody there. I'm just saying this illustrates exactly how stupid the political system is on earth. And at least in these two countries, the United States of America and Russia, where they put a telephone line in so they can stay in close communication with each other and not have to go through all these intermediaries. (laughs) And Russia won't answer the phone when Joe calls. I can see him picking up the phone. Hey, hitting the receiver over and over again. Are you there? Are you there, Vladimir? Are you there? We need to talk. (laughs) Give me a call. Oh, my gosh. The world is burning, and we have Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. They've got the matches to light the fire in their hands, and they're both trying to coordinate getting getting to the wood pile at the same time to light the match. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, a food crisis, it's, a, it's upon us, folks. And I'm not trying to be scary or spooky, but it's because of this thing going on in Ukraine. Grain production is looks like it's going to fall about 20% this year. What is that all about? Well, them and Russia between the two, 
they produce more wheat than any place else on the earth. Britain's Ministry of Defense warned that Ukraine's grain harvest is set to see about a 20% decrease in yield because of the ongoing Russian invasion. With Ukraine being responsible for a huge share of the world's supply of wheat and other essential crops, this fail, this fall, is reported likely to have devastating effects on the global supply of food, causing price hikes, more inflation, which is going to put the poorest among us and the poorest states at serious risk. So according to Britain's Defense Ministry's post on their social media, Britain is expecting this one-fifth fall in grain production to occur because of reduced sowing areas in the wake of the uptick in Russian hostilities. This reduction in supply, and it's going to be less, that means prices are going to go up, and wheat products are going to be in more demand with not nearly enough supply. This is all going to result in serious hikes in prices, putting the supply of food at risk at a global level. Ukraine is the fourth largest producer and exporter of agricultural goods in the world. Reduced grain supply from Ukraine will generate inflationary pressures, elevating the global price of grain. High grain prices could have significant implications on our food markets, threaten global food security, particularly in some of the least economically developed countries. Isn't it interesting when politics comes into play and we start making decisions, we being our governments, we start making decisions based on political principles rather than on the law and our commitments to our people and rather than going and asking the people who elect you and you govern, asking them that what they want and you just arbitrarily tell them all to shut up and sit down, they don't have any say-so. That's the world we live in right now, folks, even here in the United States. We have a president of the United States that has blood on his hands every day. What are you talking about, Dan? I'm, I'm talking about all of the people that have died in Ukraine needlessly, all of what's happening at our southern border that has been happening. It happened the whole eight years he and Barack were president and vice president, and it's happening again now. People are dying because politicians are refusing to enforce laws. It's about immigration. There is a process for immigration. It was crafted. It's exhaustive. And there's a whole series of laws that were introduced to both houses of Congress. They debated them. They sent them to committee. They made amendments in those things. They put them all back together, went back to the various houses, to the House and the Senate. They tried to find a consensus on these immigration problems, and they crafted a law. They approved it. Not just one law, but numerous ones. They were all approved in Congress. Joe Biden, by the way, was in the Senate when all this was going on. They worked up a plan to make it, here's how you immigrate here. You go through a port of entry. You make a contact. You apply at a uh, consulate or uh, some other facility in a foreign country. That's the way you do it. You apply. You come into the process. You do it legally. 
this administration, there's nobody in it that likes that, that agrees with that. So what do you do? What you're supposed to do? You go back to Congress. If there are laws in place you don't like, if you think they're bad for the American people, if you want to change them, you get together with people in Congress that are representatives directly of the people in the states and the districts, and you come up with a plan that you present. And law says, Constitution says, those things are presented to both houses if they agree on what's presented and it goes to a president and he signs it into law, that's the only way any process, including immigration, is legally supposed to be handled. Joe Biden just tore up the manual. He hadn't read it. He hired people that don't believe in it. They don't even look at the manual. The president's not being held accountable for doing what he's doing regarding thumbing his nose at the Constitution and immigration laws. Why should the people that work in his administration, why should they do what the administration is supposed to do when the president says, we're not going to do that? It's a self-created debacle. And I'm sure that Joe Biden creating a debacle is a shock to you. His life is full of debacles, self-made debacles. I mean, this guy, he is a walking accident about to happen. Who's the little character in Charlie Brown who walks around constantly with a cloud over his head? I forget his name, but you know who I'm talking about. That's Joe Biden. Who's Charlie Brown in this administration? I don't think there is a Charlie Brown. But if there was, it would be somebody that was pulling the strings and made all the decisions and was involved in everything that happened with the gang. We certainly have that kind of structure in our government today in the Biden administration. But Americans don't have access to that information. It's all well hidden. They keep it from the American people. Uh, Let me give you an example. Do you have any clue what Christopher Wray is doing for you and for me? in the Department of Justice, the FBI director, Christopher Wray. Have you seen any improvement in law enforcement that would be under the purview of the federal government? Have you seen any increase? Have you seen any good changes? Lawlessness is through the roof. Lawlessness is not just a town-to-town, city-to-city, state-to-state thing. It's a national thing. One of the reasons our forefathers developed a government is to provide guidance for individual states with the understanding that states have autonomous ability and rights to pass laws to govern themselves. But throughout history, when problems arise at the state and local levels about law enforcement, the FBI has already stepped in, always, to help out and whatever's necessary and whatever's needed. Christopher Ray is doing nothing in that regard. He's the FBI director, and uh, he followed, of course, James Comey, who was fired by Donald Trump. I got to be honest with you. I see and hear nothing coming out of the FBI from Christopher Ray that is worth a flip, and it's certainly not addressing the law enforcement problems we see happening around the United States. People are dying left and right. Every day, there are shootings and killings 
and people getting banged up and stuff. In New York City, Eric Adams, the new mayor, he spoke to 60 Minutes, and he was on the show to talk crime, coronavirus, his childhood, and his history with police. He says he was once assaulted by police officers at the 103rd Precinct Station House, later became a cop himself. So after the Brooklyn subway shooting last week, led 29 people injured, 10 people who were shot. The mayor was asked what he would say to New Yorkers who feel the city is headed the wrong way in the wrong direction in terms of crime. Here's what the mayor said. We've moved 1,800 guns off the streets of our city since I've been elected. 1,800, he said. This was during an interview that aired on Sunday. And so we're putting in place the foundation of dealing with the immediate needs of violence, but we're also stopping the pipeline that causes children to get involved in violence. New York Police Department statistics released last week show overall crime is up 43% year-to-date as of April 17th compared to the same time a year ago. Every area of crime other than murder is up year-to-year statistics show. Mayor Adams also noted the city residents got so fed up, reports of abusive policing city and nationwide that They turn the ship too far in the wrong direction. That's what these politicians always do. When something's dropped at their feet that they are reliable for, professionally accountable for, what do they do? They try to deflect it. They try to get away with it. And in most cases, when it comes to this, they do. Adams was talking, and he said, to the left, There is middle ground in this. We only talk about how do we protect the rights of those who commit a crime. How about start talking about how do we protect the rights of people who are doing the right things? He told CBS, the perception of safety in the city is as powerful as is the reality. The safety in the city The perception of safety in the city is as powerful as the reality. I disagree with that. And maybe that's part of the problem. Crime is there. It's absolute. It's hideous. And the perception that it's there, that's not going to take anything away, any of the furor, the uproar, the pain, the hurt out of these conflicts that happen because nothing's been done. If you wake up in the morning, you hear that somebody was hit in the head with a hammer then you are, number one, reluctant to get on the subway system, the mayor said. Number two, then if you're in or on the uh, subway in the system and you're seeing disorder, encampments, people laid out on the train, loud noises or cursing, then you begin to actually embody what you read and it becomes your perception even if you were not attacked. Now, the mayor's missing me on this. He's making excuses now. And he's a cop. Cops don't make excuses about crime. The mayor said the city needs to deal with the perception that is being fed to New Yorkers. Since his time in office, he has reinstated the NYPD's gun-focused anti-crime unit under a different name. He launched a plan to try to clear up the Subways rolled out a new strategy aimed at targeting low-level crime offenders. That's all in an effort to stop violent crime, 
before it even starts. From April 11th through the 17th, murders in New York during that seven-day period went up 50% from 6 in 21 to 9 this year. Shooting incidents increased 32%. The number of gun victims jumped 100%. Why? The Brooklyn subway shooting tragedy. Transit crimes, or those that were reported in the subway system, were up 52%. Statistics show. So the mayor's out there, and um, it looks like he's bitten off more than he can chew. And he's not doing a great job, at least most of the people in New York don't feel like he's doing a great job. And safety is one of the things that absolutely has to be in and any elected official have got to take care of the people who voted for them and the people who live in their respective states or cities or towns. Peace will cover up a whole lot of other issues if we have peace and confidence that everything's going to be okay. You know, it's like you don't know what's ahead every time. You don't know what's going to happen in your life when you do this or you do that or you don't do this or you don't do that. You remember when you were a kid? Man, when I was, my mom and dad, they told me all kind of things were going to happen. If you do this, bam, 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 bam. And after a time, when nothing happened for the bad stuff that was done, we just, my brother and I just began to say, They're just talking a good game. They're not playing a good game. That's the way we are in America, a bunch of our leaders. I mean, they get up when they're doing interviews. Oh, my gosh. We've got this. We've got it, whatever it is. We've got it for the people, and we're going to straighten it out. The people are going to be out on top of this at the end of the day. Well, you got to start somewhere before you can say that. And it starts with places like mayors and cities. Eric ain't doing a good job in New York, and the people in New York are paying the price. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the The Truth Truth News Network. Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola, like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials, so every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials, excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. 
BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's a story that is out today, actually came out yesterday. You heard the horrible news over the weekend that Texas National Guard member went into the water in the Rio Grande River to save two drowning illegal immigrants. He never was seen again after he hit the water. They found his body yesterday. He just, he just drowned. Sadly, of course, he saved two people's lives, but both of those people that he saved were trafficking in drugs. That's sad. So the news came out yesterday, his name, that he passed away. It was a sad day yesterday. They recovered the body of Texas Army National Guard member who went missing after he um, went into the water to protect those those immigrants. It was believed that 22-year-old specialist Bishop Evans drowned after getting caught up in the river's currents after he was attempting a rescue of those two migrants and they were involved in illegal drugs. Evans, this young man, had been deployed to the area for Texas Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. He launched it last year in response to the humanitarian catastrophe that Joe Biden's refusal to secure the nation's southern borders created. This guy, Evans, had been missing for three days before the worst fears were confirmed. Governor Abbott delivered the grim news on Twitter, We are heartbroken to learn of the death of SPC Bishop Evans. He heroically saved his state and his country. I want to thank all rescue teams that worked to locate this soldier, the governor wrote. Join me and Cecilia, my wife, in praying for the family and friends. Well, pictures of the young man whose life was cut short by his devotion to duty and humanity were posted on Twitter where he was mourned with many expressing deep condolences to the fallen hero's loved ones. But not everybody was respectful about it. Folks, what I'm about to tell you, if you didn't see it, it it nauseates me even to express it again and to go back and even talk about it. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she had a new low. She was asked about Evans during the White House press briefing yesterday. She reacted in a, in a pretty loathsome, snarky, callous manner that once again showed that little matters to the current administration other than their partisan politics and scoring cheap points against Republicans as this outgoing spinmeister, Jen Psaki, passed the buck, the responsibility for Evans' death to who? to the state of Texas and its governor. I don't believe the White House so far has commented on the death of Bishop Evans, the 22-year-old National Guard specialist who drowned trying to save two migrants. This is Fox News reporter Jackie Heinrich offering Saki a chance to go on record. Saki said this, Yes, thank you for that, Jackie. And the news of the confirmation that his body had been found was confirmed just a couple hours ago. I would note that, of course, our heart goes out to his family and to his loved ones. To confirm all the specific details, she said, 
He went missing on Friday following a selfless effort to rescue two migrants who appeared to be drowning who were trying to cross a river in Mexico that went to the U.S., that went into the U.S., of course. We know that National Guard personnel, including him, risk their lives every day to serve and protect others, and again, our hearts go out to his family. I don't have any, in case you may ask, I don't have any updates at this moment in terms of the president's outreach, but if that is something I can update you on this afternoon, I will let you know. This is Saki, she said. Well, Jackie Heinrich, Fox News, followed up. Does the White House feel any responsibility for his death, given that there's reporting that he lost his life, allegedly trying to save two migrants who were smuggling drugs? This is a problem that, you know, the administration has been facing for some time and has obviously been, as we've been discussing, getting some criticism for. Does the White House feel at all responsible? Heinrich asked. And what more can you offer to people who, you know, are on the border in border communities who are experiencing loss and trials like this? Listen to what the White House press secretary responded with. And I'll quote Jen Psaki here. Well, of course, we are mourning the loss of his life, and we are grateful for the work of every National Guardsman. I would note that the National Guard worked for the states, so he is an employee of the Texas National Guard, and his efforts and his operation were directed by there, not by the federal government. In this effort and this apparatus, what we've long stated that our immigration system is broken, there needs to be more done to invest in smarter security, to have more effective asylum processing systems, and we would welcome any efforts to for any elected official to work with us on that. I don't believe I've ever heard a colder, more unfeeling statement by a person that's not elected. She's a bureaucrat appointed in the White House, but she is the spokesperson for the President of the United States. Basically what she's saying is this president has no accountability for his being there and drowning because it wasn't our policy. It was Texas that sent him there. He worked for the Texas National Guard. So they're the ones that are responsible for this guy's death. It's the coldest, most crass thing I think I've ever heard coming out of even this administration. And it all boils around what I started the show with today when I told you. For a nation to be successful, I don't care which nation, I don't care where it is, but any nation to be successful, there has to be a process put in place, a skeletal process, we call it our United States Constitution, some type of legal document that dictates what the structure of the levels in that country are going to be regarding the government, the powers they're going to have, the powers that are retained by the people, the penalties and what you're going to get in trouble, you're going to you're going to be put in jail, you're going to be arrested, all those kind of things breaks it out. And if and when anybody in that government chooses 
to not enforce those laws that they swore an oath to enforce. That's what the executive branch is all about. Joe Biden is a commander-in-chief. He's over all our military, but he's over everything regarding the law and its enforcement from the Constitution and all federal laws that are duly passed according to constitutional terms, passed by our legislative bodies, the House, the Senate, and signed into laws. Joe Biden's signed bills into law. He was in the Senate for 36 years. He knows what the law says about holding others accountable that break laws. But this president has turned his back on the United States Constitution and the rule of law. And in doing so, every single day, this president is committing felony law criminal breaking. And he's not being held accountable for doing that. What am I talking about? Immigration laws, they're strong, they're structured, they've been there for a while, they've been amended, and then we have a group of political sycophants that come along, and they don't like laws. They don't like those laws. When Barack Obama was president, he didn't like the fact that African-American men and women were being arrested, thrown in jail for simply having marijuana in their possession when they're arrested. He didn't like that fact, but there's a federal law about possession of marijuana is a violation of federal law. So what's the president of the United States supposed to do? He was elected by the people, but he was elected to enforce laws, and he put a hand on the Bible and swore an oath to do just that. Specifically, the Constitution was laid, lays out the process for how laws are passed across the nation, federal laws. He is the first president in my memory, and I'm sure there are others before him, but I can't recollect. But he and his doing that comes from a president. It's the only instance of that I've ever seen. And what does that do? It greenlights anybody else in the government that doesn't want to enforce laws, any president doesn't want to enforce laws, any members of Congress that don't want to hold anybody accountable for legal wrongdoing, they're normalizing that and making it okay. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, is without question the most evil person in this government. But there's somebody that's letting him be evil. Who is that? It's Joe Biden. There is absolutely no excuse for there not being impeachment proceedings brought against Alejandro Mayorkas and President Joe Biden. But this is politicized America. We don't do that. Well, we don't do it unless there is a majority of Democrats in the House and the Senate and they want to impeach a conservative, and so they just do it. They ramrod it, run it through. They create all kinds of things that they say justifies impeachment proceedings, but they impeached Donald Trump twice, and he was exonerated twice. There is no way, if and when Joe Biden is impeached for any of this, there is no excuse for his doing this. He is 
thinking through this. He has planned from the very beginning to do this. And his excuse for him doing it is Congress won't fix the laws that are on the books. Now, what does that mean? I got to be honest with you. There are a lot of laws that I don't like. When I own two different arena football teams, I didn't like some of the rules in the league. But I didn't, I didn't tell my coaches, I didn't tell my front office, I didn't tell anybody in the organization to ignore the rules. What I did, I was chairman of the board of the Arena Football League. And we called board meetings and we took up legislation to change some of these laws that it wasn't just me, a bunch of other owners and a bunch of fans, a bunch of players, a bunch of coaches didn't like it. But until those were changed, we abided by the rules that were in place. That's the way you live and operate in a democracy. It doesn't mean anybody can do anything regardless of the cost or consequences. It puts a framework in place, and we're guaranteed constitutionally for the right. We have equality to pursue the things that we want to pursue, but within the framework of the law. There is no justifiable reason for anybody in the United States Congress or the White House to premeditatedly break a single law and try to justify it, but it gets worse. There's no excuse for anybody in the executive branch of the government to not hold anyone and everyone perpetrating these illegal acts, not holding them accountable, is a violation of your oath of office and you're suborning the illegality that is happening on your white on your watch. In other words, you're responsible for either initiating it directly or allowing it indirectly to happen because you refuse to enforce it. Joe Biden should be impeached. Alejandro Mayorkas should be fired or impeached. And I pray, and I know there are some of my fellow conservatives in Congress that listen to this show. If you're listening to me, I know impeachment proceedings right now in the House are not going to happen because you don't have the majority. The Democrats do. And Nancy Pelosi will never instigate an impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden. But it's all the more reason to make sure that you assist, you encourage others, you make sure you vote, you encourage others to vote, give them the facts about all of these issues we're dealing with, There needs to be a change. We need to hold these people, even Republicans, especially Republicans, and all Democrats that are breaking laws, we need to hold them accountable. And, hey, it's tough to recall somebody. Look what happened. Gavin Newsom was recalled. It's tough to kick somebody out that's already in office. I don't care what level it is. But what it does... It commits, it doesn't just be a a verbal commitment, but it commits by actions that you are all for the rule of law and making it work from top to bottom. Nobody's exempt from it. I've heard Nancy Pelosi say that a hundred times about Donald Trump. Nobody's exempt from enforcing the law. Nobody is. Well, Joe Biden is. The House of Representatives won't hold him accountable. 
Who's going to hold him accountable? Who will hold anybody accountable that has the power? But they say, no, we're not going to. What, what are we supposed to do? What is the answer? Is there an answer? I can't think of one other than follow the law. The law is of the people, by the people, and for the people, and everybody in the government is obligated to do just that. Abide by the rule of law and enforce the rule of law. That's your sole power and your sole responsibility. You do not have the authority to change any laws. You don't have any authority to not support these laws. That is the law. So what's going to happen in the next few days? i got to be honest with you. It's looking like something big is about to explode on the nation. Not sure what it is. I'm not, I'm not proclaiming gloom and doom. I hope it's not anything serious. But I'll tell you this. You better be ready. We all better be ready. Because something's out there, even something that we don't know about, that we're not thinking about. We need to watch for it. Thanks for being here today. You guys have a great one. We'll be here tomorrow for Hump Day at TNN Live, 9 a.m. Central. Oh, life's been good to you since you've been gone. I'm doing fine now. I finally moved on. It's not so bad. I'm not that sad. Matter of fact, and it-